I'm Hannah Trum, and this is the Hypocritical Podcast. Organizations adjacent to healthcare, such as assisted living residential care homes, require to follow HIPAA rules and regulations. HIPAA compliance is a must for those who work in the healthcare industry. Covered entities are expected to adhere to all HIPAA rules and regulations. But how does HIPAA compliance work in the gray areas of healthcare? Adult or senior care facilities aren't considered covered entities and don't need to achieve HIPAA compliance. These organizations don't always collect or process protected health information, or PHI, but they do deal with some sensitive information. How can these organizations protect themselves and their residents from potential data breaches and accidental privacy leaks? Today, I'm speaking with Todd Pang, president and part owner of Caring Manoa, a two-type expanded adult residential care home. Caring Manoa provides 24-7 assisted living services in a historical estate. Todd and I discuss how he took his business paperless, how the global pandemic affected this initiative, and how HIPAA plays a role in his organization and their provided patient care. Hi, Todd. The first question I have for you today is, can you provide us with some background on Caring Manoa and what your, and who your ideal customer is? Uh, well, firstly, I want to thank uh, you, Hannah and Sierra for uh, having me on your podcast. It's a really important topic, uh, especially for our part, our little corner of the whole spectrum of care for seniors and the elderly. Um, but some background on Caring Manoa, we are uh, what's called an adult residential care home, and that's like a specific designation in Hawaii. Uh, they are usually small cottage industry mom and pop facilities uh, with a handful like ourselves who are actually bigger and run more like a company or as an organization. It's a non-medical service and uh, it's purely just assistance with uh, activities of daily living, uh, medication management, uh, monitoring and assisting our residents and offer 24-7. Caring Manoa uh, we started in 2001. So this is our 20th year come October. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you so much. It's It's been a journey. Uh, <laughs> for us, you know, it, it started as a small care home and what's called a type one uh, care home in Honolulu or, or in Hawaii, uh, which means that we only had five residents at that time. And so we really fell into that category of like mom and pop facility. And uh, at that time, my family had... Uh, been operating it while the kids uh, had grown up and went away to college. And um, in 2011, I had uh, relocated back home to Honolulu and started uh, our expansion to another three beds or to a total of eight residents, which might not seem like a lot, but for a small mom and pop, you know, to have 60% more uh, residents was kind of a big jump. That's a huge and jump. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that's kind of the only way that uh, care homes do it here in Hawaii to expand or scale up is to have these massive jumps in residence because we either have to um, build out a whole new section of the house or maybe build a whole new house. So there's quite a bit of risk and um, startup cost for a residential home here locally. But uh, we did it in 2011. So after running that small home for 10 years, we then uh, scaled up to another eight residents or a total of eight residents. And then in 2014, uh, I had uh, done exactly what I just mentioned. We we built a whole nother wing of our home to have a, another eight residents, effectively doubling our capacity overnight. And that was all sorts of uh, fun. Fun. Challenge. Yeah, I'm sure. Lots of fun. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, you know, again, as a, as a small family run business, um, a lot of us in the residential care industry, um, really don't have much of a template to follow or we're, we're kind of just figuring it out as we go. So, um, we've been operating at 16 beds since 2014 and, uh, that's been going very well over these many years now. And, and finally we are undertaking a whole new expansion again to, uh, add a whole another 32 beds or four homes of eight to our, um, our organization coming up this year and over the next two years. So Caring Manoa has been around for a little while, um, but it's really, uh, we, we really try to specialize in a, a, a group of seniors who don't have many other options. Uh, they might have come and gone through an uh, independent or assisted living facility, or maybe they are uh, suffer- they suffered some sort of injury and went to short-term rehab, and now the physician is telling them that it's not safe to go home. So we really are looking at um, our niche is for residents who truly don't have many other options, either because of uh, their mobility issues or because they have um, perhaps you know maybe more of a moderate to to severe dementia, mm-hmm. something like that. So. It, it's it's kind of uh, care homes in general are sort of like a catch-all between assisted living, which we think of residents as needing to be a bit more independent, and a skilled nursing facility, which is definitely providing that medical attention. Uh, we seem to what we what I think is we fill a gap of maybe residents who are too high acuity for assisted living, uh, but they don't really need that nursing service twenty four seven or even on a on a regular basis. So that's kind of our little sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And um, we are, you know, one of maybe about 400 care homes throughout the state. So definitely a small uh, or cottage industry of, of many small operators and care homes account for um, about 20% of, of all of the long-term care beds in Hawaii or, uh, you know, uh, that's... Uh, a total of about 12,500 beds in Hawaii statewide for all of long-term care. Wow. That's amazing. That's a, that is a, I didn't realize that there were that many or few, depending on how you look at it, uh, (laughs) facilities in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. There's simultaneously many, but not enough. Yes. And always um, the problem. Yeah. (laughs) There's, it's really kind of an interesting conundrum because um, the, just with such a fragmented, you know, part of the industry, plus a whole nother layer of another 20% of the beds are occupied by what's called uh, community care foster family homes, which are kind of like care homes, but have a different license. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's almost like 50% of all of the, the beds in Hawaii. Um, and there's something like 1,038 foster family homes <laughs> as well. So put together... There's so many, and yet uh, it's very fragmented. So many, and yet not enough. Yeah, very <laughs> uh, much so. Todd, could you give us some information about your background and your focus as president and part owner? I joined in 2011, like I mentioned. And, and prior to that, I was living abroad in China. And uh, I had been involved with the uh, luxury travel and luxury tour operations industry there. So I was working with a, a local Beijing company that was a part British, part Korean American couple um, called Imperial Tours. And we were really um, 
focusing quite heavily on the high-end luxury travel market there. So we would have Americans or Europeans or Australians primarily come and, and have a really wonderful experience. I did that in, in Beijing for about five years prior to then being called home by my family in this family business. And it really actually wasn't a far stretch from what I was doing in China um, with luxury tours and, and luxury uh, you know, uh, hotels to then be operating a, a, a residential care facility. I mean, I, I, I see what I do as kind of like a, a boutique hotel plus um, some caregiving that's, well, quite a bit of caregiving that's involved. But it's, it's really a, a focus that I've brought to this work um, and my background in hospitality that um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm always using as a sort of a, a competitive advantage, I suppose, over others in the market who might be primarily just focusing on um, the care by itself. Um, I really try to focus on more of the holistic experience that my residents and their families can have while they're here um, for however long that might be. We may have some residents who are here for a short term, um, maybe for hospice or for... I, I have a, one resident who's been with us now for nine years and through that period of time, I'm really looking at, you know, what is it that uh, would be a special kind of zinger or mm -hmm. a special sort of experience that they could have either each month with our, our family parties or, or maybe throughout the day that would just be a little bit more than just, uh, you know, bathing, eating. It's a little more fun. You're adding more fun things to do, which definitely connects to your luxury tour background because that's... What you did is just a different demographic and maybe slightly different activities. That's right. Yeah, very different activities. <laughs> we're not hiking on the Great Wall here. We're we're uh, playing balloon volleyball or or doing a lot of games with our residents and their families. It's it's actually very interesting though to see our families getting involved um, with those activities and you know people who might otherwise be very stoic in, in the business community or whatnot are, are really letting loose um, doing relay races with their parents. Uh, it, it's, it's really nice to see. I bet and that's incredible to see. It's very, very different. <laughs> but um, again, it's, you know, one of those things that I think we, we want our families to feel like this is beyond just um, something depressing or, or beyond basic care. Is, Beyond basic care, yeah, and and our our vision that I that, you know we established some time ago was to elevate and transform life, and what that means to us is um, you know wherever our our residents came from or their families and whatever their personal situations or their you know personal relationship dynamics, we really want to be adding to that and and um, elevating it for them to to look back at this last chapter of their lives here and really feel like that was uh, something they could be proud of mm -hmm. and that they had closure. So, you know, we, we aim for that. And, uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like something that's truly incredible to witness and to be a part of. Uh, so I definitely commend you for that. Thank uh, you. Switching gears a little bit. Uh, the pandemic affected each of us differently. And early on in the pandemic, adult residential home and care facilities seemed to be hit the hardest. How did your organization prepare for this pandemic, if anything? I have to say, admittedly, we, we didn't prepare for the pandemic before it happened. Uh, it, it really was one of those things that blindsided us. 
early on, I wanted to emphasize with my team that we have to stay ahead of it, uh, whatever it might be. We don't want to have to be playing catch up after the fact. And, and you know, it, 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 we saw things slowly developing. And, and uh, back in like January of 2020, we started thinking, okay, gosh, like maybe we should start um, buying more face masks. I, I, <laughs> I would buy about a, a one case of face masks for like a year previously. And, and uh, you know, then we started having to buy so many more, right? And, and mm-hmm. um, we started amassing PPE. Um, as the first cases started occurring in the US and, and there was a very notable um, facility in Washington, you know, we, we really started to think, okay, we have to take action with this, not wait for um, something to, you know, come back around and, and bite us in the butt. So we um, closed our doors in the end of February and beginning of March to, to all family visitations, to the physicians, to providers, all of our volunteers and, and that program. Um, but we really had to work fast as many facilities did to uh, respond quickly or even try to be proactive about it. Um, but, you know, through that process, it, it took a little while for our families to uh, understand why we were doing that and, and to feel like we weren't just being kind of draconian about our, our, uh, our um, about your precautions. precautions. Yeah, yeah. being dramatic. <laughs> well, it, it really was a challenge because it, it's very different from what we were used to here at Caring Manoa and uh, welcoming, welcoming our families with open arms. But, you know, it's like you mentioned, all facilities struggled with this and we had to really scramble to uh, develop new policies and procedures that we, we hadn't previously really need to focus on. Um, our, uh, just even addressing caregiver anxiety <laughs> and mm-hmm. fear about what this new virus is and, and how we might get it um, was a big feature for us to um, convince our employees and our, our caregivers that you know PPE works. And uh, even then at that point, we didn't know if it worked, but we, we had to put some faith in the CDC to, to say, you know, if, if you have a mask uh, and, and you gown up, then it, you'll be safe. Or I should say, if everybody does that. But um, luckily, you know, it, it, uh, that early, those early actions help us to, to weather most of the storm throughout 2020. And um, we could really fall back on a lot of the strides that we made in um, going paperless over the last mm-hmm. few years prior to. Um, so we, we didn't have to you know reinvent the entire wheel, but just kind of chisel away to make it more round and, and uh, roll more smoothly as we kind of had to, well, roll with all of the new developments. <laughs> yes, work better for you in 2020. Uh, so mm-hmm. how how else has COVID changed your organization? Do you see any of the changes that you made in 2020 becoming permanent or continuing in 2021 and beyond? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there's there hadn't previously been a huge emphasis on infection control in this residential setting. You know, it's um, we we would have some procedures to isolate residents if they seem like they had a cold or something. But mm-hmm. of course, with COVID, now it becomes much more deadly. <laughs> so, yes. our um, we really had to tighten up our policies and procedures, and and uh, I think all residential care homes had to do that. Uh, in addition, with the Department of Health here locally, you know, beginning to adopt new legislation to require that, it's been um, a very good thing. 
And I think overall in Hawaii, you know, we don't have the same kind of case counts in the long-term care um, industry as, as there are in other states. But it, you know, that that's here to stay. And um, it's very, you know, widespread already in the acute care, like hospitals or in in nursing facilities. But now with um, trickling down into the residential care field, uh, are, there's there's required policies and procedures for infection control. Our PPE usage is just through the roof now. Like, uh, I, you know, as I mentioned, I'd buy 300 face masks maybe a year. And now that would last me, you know, less than a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've we've just had to add a whole new line item to our budget for PPE and and um, getting the employees and the residents to be using that more frequently, uh, just as a common practice now. Mm-hmm. The other issue uh, that we've now since kind of worked with is to have to tell our families that there are certain restrictions on how they can visit and and be with their loved one. That was, again, previously just a, a very open, laissez-faire, come whenever you can. And uh, obviously, during the pandemic, but even after the pandemic, we'll have to be a little bit more restrictive on on either the time or, or how um, families might bump into each other on site uh, until we're really kind of past this pandemic. Mm-hmm. But um, on, a, on a more macro level, you know, I, I think here locally, there, there's so many seniors that need this type of service, but I, I have found during the pandemic that many of them are, are less willing to um, move into facilities for that COVID risk. And, and of course, it's understandable. It, it's, it's been in combination with perhaps uh, high unemployment that families are now really kind of considering or reconsidering the stage to which they want to consider moving into a facility. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a trend anyway for the last few years, but a lot of families are um, staying home for longer and trying to, or you know, their, their loved one is staying home for longer and trying to accommodate the care at home so that when they really move into a facility, that's when they truly are, are incapable of um, providing the care for their loved one or, or maybe the family is just so burnt out that they've had it and they, they need to find something. They need more help. Um, yeah, they need more help. Yeah, and then uh, there's the uh, just the overall kind of you know telemedicine and and remote communications that are definitely here to stay. We've been able to have PCP visits with our um, residence providers and, and other providers via Zoom or well not Zoom they have their own um, they have their own HIPAA compliant portal that the residents and we sign on to. But like you know through telemedicine. And through um, uh, communication with the families on things like FaceTime and Zoom, I think that's here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree. We've talked to other people and they've kind of said te- the, the telehealth is here to stay. It's only made everyone's lives easier. It has. Yeah, it really has actually. Because, um, and, and especially on the individual level, you know, we as a facility, we can make it really worthwhile for a, a provider to come and see maybe like 10 people at a time. But it's it's been a real nascent um, growing thing where the the local geriatricians are um, trying to do more house calls and there's that uh, I think it's called like the milkman's dilemma or something where it's like how do you go through all of these different places and fit it within your schedule so now with telehealth and telemedicine the providers here locally can can have a bigger reach especially to remote areas or remote islands in the state now uh, where they might have to take a plane. Mm-hmm. to see their patients. And and that's I agree it's it's been a really great thing 
for us. Uh, we've also been able to connect with um, our our residents' family members who are on the mainland or in other locations where they they weren't able to join us for our parties, and now they can they can see their loved one more easily because ourselves and other residential facilities have, have all kind of bought iPads now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> video and phone calls have really changed the way we communicate with everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and for the better. Oh, totally agree. Uh, going paperless is an ideal situation for almost every company, and it is something that you are trying to do. Uh, how and why did you make this decision to take Caring Manoa a pa- to make them a paperless organization? Did you find that the pandemic made that easier or harder? It, it had to happen <laughs> when I when I started ten years ago. Like I just. I was thinking there had to be a better way to do this. Um, so, you know, back then, uh, phone and fax were kind of the only way for us to get in touch with uh, a, a provider. The um, Department of Health really would, when they would come to inspect it, it was it was kind of like a sport for them to look through all the paper records and look for something we call pukas, which is Hawaiian for. Uh, holes, you know, and pukas in the medication administration record of, you know, did they record it then, or did they do this? Uh, uh, is the is the order missing? The same for something as as uh, silly as, you know, did the facility use black ink versus blue ink? <laughs> um, these were, you know, kind of it. It, it had to take a, a really large proportion of the Department of Health's annual inspection of facilities, and it was um, it's important. But I just felt like you know that was really not uh, a reflection of the core service that we were providing or the the core value and and uh, performance that we were operating at. So in in 2016, I just started thinking, you know, this has to happen. Um, there's very few uh, applications, or there were a few applications back in 2011 for this kind of residential market. And uh, most of the kind of paperless systems are geared more towards the acute industry or um, nursing facilities. But in in 2016, there were two big things that I did. One was signing on with Powbox, which mm-hmm. was really great. And uh, two was to uh, get our medication administration record onto a paperless system. It had to start with that because the majority of our um, uh, of the Department of Health's uh, uh, inspections really focus on the. Mar is what it's called. So we we joined on with um, something called Quick Mar, which has now been purchased by Point Click Care, and they really focus more on the long term care industry and, and less so on the acute side. They it, it was night and day for us in terms of our um, compliance, our reporting, our care management. You know, we could really use uh, exception based reporting to be able to see you know what was a trend for our residents' conditions to be able to catch if a caregiver had missed some medication or hadn't recorded. you know, Even if they did give the medication, they forgot to write their little initial in the square box on the MAR. So it, it was just an overnight improvement. Well, I should say, <laughs> it, didn't, it took us quite a bit of time to get uh, a uh, caregiver used to using a computer, which um, some of them you know, were not very computer literate. But we we pushed ahead and and over about six months we we really got everybody on board and it's just I mean there's no turning back you know it's it's there's no need to and it's really helped us um, within our niche of the market to to shine you know, I I think the Department of Health now feels very comfortable about what we do 
And with that, you know, it's helped us to also think about scale and how we can expand. Um, so, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll be we'll be growing by two hundred percent. And with Thank that, you. yeah, it's you know, uh, the only way we can grow is to go by these big jumps. And um, with that, you know, we can we can have better communication across locations. Uh, we can have more accurate reporting for our our the residents PCPs and their families. And and all of that boils down to um, being very reliable and trustworthy because you know we're working with people's parents and their loved ones. Exactly. And the more reliable and trustworthy you are, the better <sighs> that they feel leaving their parents. And I'm sure the better the residents feel about their care. Completely. Absolutely. I mean, it's like I mentioned, you know, we we never want to find ourselves behind the ball and trying to explain you know, why something had happened or, you know, why somebody's uh, mom seems to be declining and and not be able to have any documentation about that. And so with our paperless system, you know, we've really been able to amass that much better to stay ahead of it. You know, just like I was saying, we're trying to stay ahead of uh, COVID. We really want to try to stay ahead of, of conditions that um, could be preventable for our residents and be able to, to show uh, empirically or, or show data on a more longitudinal level that, um, you know, these are some flags for you, provider, to, to look at your patient and, and think about, you know, maybe offering some sort of treatment for them or vice versa to their family. Um, you know, we have a, <laughs> it's kind of like a, a activities program report card to be able to tell the kids, your mom has, um, you know, not been participating with the morning activities as much as she used to. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, That's do you want to talk great. to her about that? <laughs> we we uh we find ourselves in that situation quite often as well. That's but incredible. all of that really helps to yeah, it's it, it it all helps to really be able to reassure families that, you know, this is an environment that we're not cutting corners and this is a a team that we are really trying to be very um open, transparent and and collaborative with them. Mm-hmm. So, it's uh, been great. My next question is about HIPAA, uh, HIPAA compliance. Your organization is not a medical care provider, so HIPAA compliance is not necessarily at the top of mind for you or your staff. Uh, However y'all do deal with your residents' medication, how do you ensure that your team keeps that sort of sensitive information secure? It's been a journey. And and like I mentioned, um, with uh, just getting a caregiver who might not otherwise be very tech savvy, or uh, understanding of, of um, you know, computers and or, uh, you know, what exactly PHI is, we've had to do a lot of training and a lot of uh, awareness um, building for, you know, what actually constitutes PHI and what they can and can't be doing with the medications. You know, what can or can't you do when you leave the computer? <laughs> like, you know, click the button so that it minimizes the... the um, the medication information, uh, all of that has requ- just required initial and ongoing training constantly for them to understand that this is um, information that you know we have rights to, and that it, we have the right to to have it be private. Um, so you know we we've just had to continually oversee uh, how our caregivers operate, how they communicate with each other. You know in our in our not just uh, electronic, but even in, in uh, communication verbally with each other. It's been uh, an ongoing 
thing that I think we'll just always have to continue as we get new employees over time. The other aspect of it is that we've been able to rely very heavily on apps like uh, Powbox. And to know that, you know, with the encryption side of it, I don't have to think about, you know, is this going to be safe uh, when I communicate with my managers or if we're um, sending information to the families. And then with uh, QuickMar and Point Click Care, you know, they, they also have um, that encryption control and that uh, internal controls so that, you know, it's an option for our caregivers to know that they can minimize or not just um, go about how they normally would, not thinking about you know, keeping that PHI safe. So we're, we're really relying quite a bit and heavily on, um, on what, you know, organizations like Palbox or, or uh, Point Click Claire offer. Mm-hmm. All right, Todd, my next question for you. Uh, your organization relies on Palbox for email encryption, like you mentioned. What were some of the must-have items that you felt you needed to look for in your email encryption solution? Definitely the reliability and uh, not knowing what's in the back end, but knowing that it works. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's where I come from with my limited uh, understanding of, of technology. But we didn't want ourselves, the care home, to be the weak link in the overall um, chain of communication between family and provider or um, between the, uh, you know, uh, uh, facility to facility if um, we were sharing information. And and so with uh, Palbox, you know, it, it really was that security angle and knowing that there's an extra peace of mind to give to our families and the providers. Um, again, I mean, we really aren't defined as, as like a provider in HIPAA, but it, it seems like an industry standard that we really want to adopt and uh, try to, to follow and keep up with on our end too. So that, that extra peace of mind is uh, huge. I mean, it's like a currency in what we do. You know, it, uh, families are willing to pay a premium or to trust, you know, to, to be able to trust us. And that's how we were really um, drawn to what Palbox had to offer. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that you know, we are leading the way in um, other residential homes, you know, like uh, of all those 400 care homes, uh, really <laughs> adopting <laughs> something like Palbox or Palbox to just maintain a standard that I, I don't know if it is uh, being followed or not. Definitely. I think it would be, obviously, I work in healthcare. So I think the more HIPAA compliant providers or non-providers there are out there, out there the better. Uh, And on a more personal note, how do you keep up with industry trends and best practices? Well, um, we are part of a a couple associations here locally. And um, definitely during COVID, we've relied heavily on them to try to understand what are some best practices for infection control. But uh, because this is such a fragmented industry and such a cottage industry, you know, we're really um, actually what I like to think is we're at the forefront of um, forging new trends or best practices within the industry. Uh, You know, I can't think that there's more than about a handful of care homes and usually they're attached to a larger uh, health system or um, nursing facility. There's, there can't be more than a handful of other care homes that do paperless systems, um, especially for their medication record. And um, I, I see that as an opportunity for us to be a vanguard in this, um, not just with paperless systems, but uh, with our activities program and our um, service that we provide to our residents. 
it's uh, it's kind of not the wild west necessarily, but there's a lot of creativity that can happen. And uh, I've found that you know being the uh, owner of the company and not having to you know work with a, a very large uh, vertical organization, we can really see something that looks cool on Facebook or Instagram and and just say, you know what, we want to do that. Let's try it out. Many of those things have worked quite well for us. That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's the opportunity to be creative, but of course, you know, uh, some facilities are are just trying to struggle with the day to day or or um, fill vacancy and that kind of thing. And and I think over time here locally in Hawaii, there's going to be a lot of consolidation for um, what we have in this market. Todd, my very last question for you. Yeah. Uh, I saw on your website that Kerry Manoa hosts about 15 parties a year for residents and staff. Which one's your yeah. favorite? Oh, I'm very proud of that because it's a lot of fun <laughs> and a lot of work, ton of work every month. You know, uh, I I think actually the the staff parties are are really special, and that's because you know my caregivers, as any caregiver, has to work so hard. Uh, they are busting their butts here, you know, day and night, working with dementia and behaviors and and all sorts of physical taxing things. So to see them, you know, let loose and uh, really enjoy themselves while at work is just really special. Um, there's always some sort of dance contest <laughs> that happens. There's always some major giant spread of, of food and um, games. And so that's really special to me. For the family parties, you know, I, I think the holiday season for everybody tends to be a really fun time. Um, it's always gratifying when I see that my families are just exhausted by the end of December, you know, January 1st. They're, <laughs> they're just thinking... Okay, we need to take a break from seeing our loved one at the care home because we've been there. Well, now it's on Zoom, unfortunately, but we've been having a party in succession every few weeks at the end of this year that now, you know, maybe we'll take some time away from uh, having to visit mom or dad at the home until springtime comes back around. Well, so, I love hearing all about that. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and answering some questions about your business and about yourself. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Hannah. It's been uh, very special to be able to share what we do. And I really appreciate uh, having the opportunity to be on Hypocritical. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you. Todd, thanks again for joining the podcast. It was a real pleasure to learn more about you and your organization. Just a few announcements before I sign off. Our next webinar will be on Wednesday, July 21st, covering the topic of high trust certifications and how to pick the right assessor. This webinar is free to attend and will feature Kathleen Nye, CEO of Beyond LLC, and Michael Parisi of High Trust. If you'd like to attend, please email me at hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at pawbox.com or head to pawbox.com slash webinars. Are you looking for a place to network with others in the industry? Come join our next social mixer on July 29th. Each mixer is about an hour, 100% virtual, and attendance is completely free. Every attendee also gets a free beverage of their choice. If you'd like to attend, please email me at hannah at pawbox.com and I will get you registered. Have you added Pawbox Secure to your calendar? This year's event will take place in person at the Park MGM in Las Vegas. Join us on September 29th and 30th for our fourth annual Healthcare and Cybersecurity Innovation Conference. Jane Harper, Senior Director of Information Security Risk Management and Business Engagement at Eli Lillian Company will be a keynote speaker. Head to pawboxsecure.com for more information, early bird pricing, and to book your hotel. 
you or your organization is looking to sponsor or speak, please email me at hannah at pawbox.com and I will help you out. As a reminder, you can listen to every single episode of the Hypocritical Podcast on pawbox.com or subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or Amazon Music. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hypocritical Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Trum, signing off.